Today, we are spurring the horse to the barn as we are kind of wrapping up. Dr. Cloud will put a final bow on it, but today we're going to wrap up our portion of this teaching series that we have been in called The God of Romance. The God of Romance. I want to ask a question to begin this morning. How many of us celebrated Valentine's Day this past week? Let me just see a show of hands if you celebrated Valentine's. Okay. When I say celebrated, I mean, did you really do something or did you just go, oh, happy Valentine's Day? How many of you just said, oh, happy Valentine's Day? Let me see. Okay, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. This is family. We own that. Julie and I were traveling. We were at a conference all week, and it was not romantic, but we, so we looked at each other and said, happy Valentine's Day. Today, this, I'm just telling you, today is going to be a blast. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, Buckle up. Buckle up. Okay, wait a minute. Say it like you really mean it. Say it like this is a fun buckle up. We've done some buckle ups in the past that were like shark infested waters. This is a different kind of buckle up. Tell them like you mean it. Buckle up. When I was a child growing up in Houston, I got invited by a friend of mine to go to an event in the Astrodome. The Astrodome, of course, was the old eighth wonder of the world. And we were going to this event that was a destruction derby. How many of y'all have ever been to a destruction derby where car, they just run cars into each other? Some of y'all need to get out more. This is a night of culture. When you go to a destruction derby, cars running into each other. Just, I mean, in, this was before monster trucks. This, this, was, this was back when Moses was a baby. Well, on this particular night, there was a stuntman who was scheduled to make a jump of his motorcycle across 23 parked cars. Now, you're thinking Evil Knievel. No, it wasn't Evil Knievel. It was a guy by the name of Gary Wells. Gary Wells was a very accomplished motorcycle stuntman, but he wasn't Evil Knievel. He was kind of a, an Evil Knievel starter kit. You know what I'm saying? And I remember when the Astrodome went dark, and they started to set up the ramps for Gary Wells' jump over these 23 cars. And I remember as a kid, I, I loved motorized vehicles. I loved motorcycles and riding and doing, I, I loved all that stuff when I was a kid. Well, when they brought the ramps into the Astrodome, they parked them so far apart. And I thought, they, they need to be closer if he's gonna make this. And then slowly, one by one, they started to line the cars up. And they put the cars in place. They drove them into spots. And sure enough, they were not moving the ramps any closer. And all of a sudden, as I was watching them prepare for this jump, my excitement about the event turned to absolute terror. I was, I was a little guy. I, I didn't know what was, I thought, I don't want to see a man die. Like, he, he's, it was so far. Think about 23 cars side by side by side by side. I mean, that, that's like Shaq's garage, just all of these cars. And it was so far. And so Gary Wells finally comes into that. And he comes in and he, he goes up to the top of the takeoff ramp. And so, and he's, you know, burning rubber up at the top of the thing. And finally he takes off down the ramp. And you're going, oh my gosh. And I'm a, as a little guy, I'm just going, I can't watch this. He's going to die. And he comes down that ramp, charges it. 
And at the last possible second, he veers off. This is a warm-up run. He's building the tension in the Astrodome. I wish he would just do this stupid jump. So he rides back up to the top of the takeoff ramp. Same thing. He did that three different times. Finally, it was time for the jump. And Gary Wells, at the top of the ramp, takes off down the runway, speeding, shifting gears, gaining speed. He hits the top of the takeoff ramp, and I couldn't watch. I could not watch this stuntman splatter all over the Astrodome. And so I put my head in my lap like this, and I heard the engine as it whined at a high RPM in the air, as he took off. And then he hit the landing ramp perfectly. The Astrodome erupted. And I saw him, I barely saw him just make his way out the end of the Astrodome tunnel because he had made the jump. Some of you are going to feel like this sermon is a stuntman jump. When I tell you today that we're going to talk about sex in church, some of you are going to say, Mac, please don't do this. Please don't, please, Mac, this too far. It's no, don't do it. But I'm going to tell you something. Because of Scripture, because of who God is, we are all going to make this leap. We are all going to survive this sermon. Not only are we going to survive this sermon, I believe with everything I have, God wants to use this sermon to cause us to thrive, to cause us to grow closer to him, closer to each other, and to to understand, to to celebrate and to live out an appropriate God-honoring theology of sex. Now, some of you may think, theology and sex, Mac, that's a contradiction in terms. Have you lost it? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him with a smile on your face. Hopefully it's somebody you know, but if not, you can still tell him this. God is pro-sex. Go ahead, tell him right now. How do I know God is pro-sex? Well, I know it from Scripture, but I also know it from creation. God made us. He placed within us this desire, this, this drive When God made Adam and Eve, and the Bible says they became one flesh, it's not like God was surprised. It's not like God was in heaven and he looked down into the garden and said, what are they doing down there? He made them with this desire. He's made you, he's made me. Now, let me quickly say that this is a challenging message to receive. I've already received it in preparation. I've been studying and preparing for this sermon for a long, 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 and I don't mean just this week. I mean a lifetime. Because the reality is we all have a perspective on sex. You have a thought. You have a perspective. You have a frame of reference, a frame of mind. I do. The question is, does our perspective match God's? Are we adopting a God-honoring theology of sex? Are we adopting a God-honoring practice of sex in our lives, or are we just making it up as we go along? 
Are, are we listening to the voices and the whims and the winds of culture? Or are we saying, God, speak into my deepest place of need. God, speak to my heart on this subject. And here's why this is a challenge. It's because you're not Jesus. I hope I didn't mess up anybody's Sunday by telling you that, but there's only been one person who has ever walked the face of the earth and navigated this subject perfectly, and that's Jesus. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have sinned. All of us have had erroneous thoughts. All of us have lusted. All of us, just whatever. We've all messed this up in some way. It's a part of the human condition since sin entered the world. And so it's incumbent upon us to go back to God's word. What does God say about this? Is it something to just be tolerated or is it something to be celebrated? You see, the gift of sex is not a desire to be denied. It is, in fact, a God-given gift to be guarded. It is a present to be protected and promoted within the confines of covenant marriage. One man, one woman, one life. That's God's plan. That's his design. That's his desire. Throughout the pages of Scripture, God celebrates this plan over and 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 over again. Some of you are thinking, man, I want to get into some Scripture memory right now. Well, we're going to today. We're actually going to read a good bit of the Bible today. But I want us to begin with a foundational baseline passage from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says this. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Here, here's, here's really the, the essence of the message on sex biblically. Sex is good, but it is not God. Sex is good, but it is not a God or an idol that we can build our lives around. It's good, but it is not God. Sex can gratify, but it cannot satisfy. Sex can gratify our, our urges, our desires, our drives in the moment but it will never satisfy at a soul-deep level by itself. I love this one. Sex can season our lives. It's a, it's a great seasoning, but it cannot nourish our souls. It can season, it can spice up our lives, but it will never nourish our souls. Back during COVID, when everything was locked down, our family found a, a new recipe that we do from time to time with, with chicken. Now, chicken is obviously high protein. It's low fat. It's great. But you kind of got to doctor it to give it some taste. Would somebody help me preach? Well, I came across this recipe for this incredible dry rub, and you brine chicken, which means you stick it in salty water for a few hours, let the water and the salt kind of soak into the chicken, then you pull it out, you split the chicken open, butterfly, a whole bird chicken, 
and then you slather olive oil all over it, and then you put this dry rub on top of it. It is ridiculous. Then you put it in the smoker on a wood fire, the way God does meat. <laughs> and, and you smoke it for a couple of hours, and you get it to where it's almost up to temperature, but then you take it off. And for the last 30, 45 minutes or so, you cook it over an open flame, skin side down, so that it kind of crisps up and chars the skin. It will make you slap your mama. The seasoning that we put on this thing is a national security secret. But it's phenomenal. The seasoning is not where you get the nourishment. The seasoning just helps it to taste better. Sex is good seasoning in a life, but it does not nourish the soul. Pure sex is a gift from God. That's, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're aiming at as followers of Christ. Pure sex changes our perspective. Pure sex changes our perspective from selfishness to serving. In God's economy, sex is a, is a way that husbands and wives serve one another. It's not just how you are selfishly satisfied. And in God's economy, there is this supernatural transaction that takes place. As husbands and wives serve each other sexually, they find that all of their own needs and wants and desires in this arena are met and amplified. It's, it's an amazing thing. This is why in God's economy... Couples grow closer and closer together in their intimacy, in their sex lives as they get older. It's not just like, hey, honeymoon peaks, see ya. But over time, that intimacy grows, that, that development grows. It's because they are serving and not just being selfish. Pure sex changes our perspective from so what to wonderful. So what to so wonderful. I would suggest to you that our world is experiencing a psychotic break sexually. Now, a psychotic break is when someone can no longer separate fact from fiction, reality from fantasy. And our world can't do this or, or won't do this. On one hand, they will tell you sex is everything. It defines who you are. But on the other hand, they'll tell you, it's just sex. It's no big deal. Have you heard people say it's no big deal? How tragic, how tragic and heartbreaking that people are growing up right now believing that sex is no big deal. It is a big deal. And we do them such a disservice by downplaying it, by taking it out of that protective cocoon of covenant marriage. But we go from so what to so wonderful. It goes from fear to freedom. We have nothing to fear. When you're committed to one person for life, nothing to fear. I learned something as a husband eight years in. Eight years. Julie and I were having a conversation about sex. That's always a fun conversation. Nobody wants to have a conversation. We want to have sex, but we don't want to have a conversation about sex. Well, we were having a conversation about sex. And I learned in this conversation that Julie was afraid 
about our intimacy as husband and wife. I thought, afraid? Why, why are you? And then she told me something. She said, do you remember when we were getting ready to get married? I said, yeah. She said, you remember we, we talked to that person who told us, he, he, they, they said, if a man is not satisfied, he will go elsewhere. She said, I've heard that in the back of my head since before we got married every single time. Now, I don't have a PhD in women, but you might understand that fear is not a healthy motivator, particularly in this arena. I said, Julie, are you kidding me? No, I'm not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, I, I want you to enjoy it as much as I want. I want this for you, and I'm here to serve. <laughs> but that was the beginning of us getting on the same page. That was the beginning of her understanding my need, my understanding her need. We had to go to counseling. We had to, to change the way we thought and the way we looked. We had to learn how to trust each other in ways that we hadn't so far. Eight years in. Thank God we had that conversation. We, we moved from, from fear to freedom. We moved from shame to sharing. All of us. Everybody in the room, if you would, please raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now. Everybody in the room. Every one of us has something to be ashamed of in this arena. Everyone. I, I don't even have to ask. Now you can put your hands down. But do you understand in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, God says, I will remove their sin from them as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. In Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no shame. In Christ, we move from shame to sharing. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the human condition, infiltrated the heart of Adam, the heart of Eve, what did it say? It says that before that, they were naked and not ashamed. After that, they were naked and ashamed. And, and probably the most tragic moment in all of Scripture, God, the perfect father, came into the garden in the cool of the evening looking for Adam and Eve. And he called out, Adam, Eve, let's take our evening stroll. And the Bible says they were hiding from God. They were hiding from the one who gave them life, who gave them love, who gave them each other, who gave them hope. They were hiding from all of that because of shame. Because of shame. But in pure sex, we move from shame to sharing. We move from obligation to celebration. It's no longer an obligation. All right. No, 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 no. This is a celebration. <laughs> and we move from bargaining to blessing. Have you ever felt like you had to bargain for sex? Tell you what, if you do this, then I'll, you know. That, that's not godly. As husband and wife, 
we look for opportunities to bless one another. Remember last week we said that in marriage, in God's economy, marriage is marked by sacrifice and submitting. Submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. I submit to Julie. She submits to me out of reverence for Christ. As a husband, my love is marked by sacrifice, like Christ loves the church. And so we keep all of these things in mind, particularly when we come to this physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological expression of intimacy that is pure sex. The Song of Songs is an entire book of the Bible. There are only 66 books in the whole Bible. Of all the books that have ever been published, that's not many. And yet God made sure to include an entire book devoted to the subject of marital sexual intimacy. Some of you have never read Song of Songs. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to now. But it's interesting that over the years, theologians and commentators have interpreted the Song of Songs differently. Some people have said that it is an allegory. When it describes a husband's love for his wife and a wife's love for her husband, that it's a spiritual allegory of, of God for his people Israel and then, by extension, of Jesus for his bride, the church. And I understand where that comes from. I just categorically disagree with it. You cannot read the Song of Songs as it is written as anything but an expression of the celebration of marital intimacy between husband and wife. And I want to share with you just a few verses from Song of Songs. I had to kind of pick and choose which ones to share in church. Some of the, I mean, it's, whoo. But this is, remember too that the Song of Songs is written as an alternating poem between the groom and his bride and with periodic interjections from their friends at the wedding party. We're gonna begin in Song of Songs chapter four and I'm gonna go into chapter five. The context of this passage is the wedding night. They have courted and dated and gone through the engagement process. They've had the ceremony and the wedding but now this is husband and wife coming together to consummate the marriage. It begins with the husband. Chapter four, verse one following. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. This is a silver-tongued devil, isn't it? <laughs> Men, I, I would encourage you to take the principles in, in this passage and find your own words. Don't, don't go with goats. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. She has all her teeth, and he likes it. But watch this. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with coarse. This is a woman who, who is proud in her femininity. She's standing tall. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them the shields of warriors. This is a necklace around her neck. 
Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. My sister means my, my friend. I loved you as a friend before you were my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. I mean, that, that, I don't see an allegory there. This is a husband thoroughly enjoying the appearance of his bride. This is a husband building her up, extolling her virtues, telling her how beautiful she is physically. This is this, is, this pure sex. And I almost, almost can't read to you what she says, but I'm going to. <laughs> it's in the Bible. She says this. Okay. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. Julie says that all the time. <laughs> his body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweet, sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. This is her groom. Whew. My word. How beautiful that God invites us to celebrate this gift in marriage, to guard this gift in marriage. Years ago, I was teaching a, a class of high school students, and I had not read this passage to them. I didn't feel like I needed to help them any. And I was explaining to them why God says, guard the gift of sex within marriage. And I thought about the passage that says, the two become one flesh. Now, of course, that is body to body, but it's also mind to mind, heart to heart, soul to soul. That's why the verb is to consummate the marriage, because it is the consummate act. It consumes every part of who we are. And so when that happens, whether in marriage or out of marriage, you are becoming one with somebody. So if you are not protected in the covenant of marriage, if you've not guarded that gift with that depth of commitment and love, then somebody's free to roam. They're, they're free to check out, and, and it hurts. It is, it's the two become one flesh and then no more. That's why it is so profound. Pure sex. The gospel of Jesus Christ just expands this idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to encourage you. Let me finish the whole passage. Let me finish the whole passage. 
1 Corinthians 7, 4 and 5 says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you both decide we're going to fast sexually, we're going to hold off for the purposes of prayer for a set period of time, great. But make sure that you set an appointment for coming back together. 20 years ago, I was preaching this passage of Scripture. We were still meeting in the high school. And I finished the last sermon of the day, and, you know, people walking out the door. Some people are like, man, that great sermon. People are like, Pastor, thank you. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the final person that left, I was getting ready to go to my truck and go home, and one of our security guards, one of the sheriff's deputies came up to me. He said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, absolutely. He goes, man, I... I was listening today, and uh, you, you, you read a verse, I think it was from Corinthians, and he pulled out the little pad in his pocket and a pen. He goes, can you, can you tell me exactly what that passage was? Because my wife is never going to believe that's in the Bible. <laughs> I said, yeah, I got you. But we have this gift to give one another. Here's the application. This is it. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, for all of us, as human beings created in the image of God, pursue pure sex. Pursue pure sex. It's not enough to just say, don't do this, don't do that. So many of us, especially those who maybe grew up in the church, were told, no, 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 no. Oh, you're married? Go have fun. It's like, what? We have to paint a picture of what God is for and not just what we're against. We have to tell the next generation, this is why you wait until you're married. And, and, Your school's going to tell you you don't have to wait. You can't wait. You are not an animal. You have a choice and a mind that God has given you. Use it and protect and guard this gift. We have to paint that picture. Pursue pure sex. We're going to make this last part kind of interactive. Here's what pure sex means. P-U-R-E. Give me a P. P. Passionate. Pure sex is passionate. Read the Song of Songs. Sex is both thermometer and thermostat. It tells you the temperature of the relationship, but it also helps to set the temperature of the relationship. If it's not passionate, if both husband and wife are not thoroughly enjoying, then figure it out. Maybe you need to see a Christian counselor. Maybe you need to talk to someone. And, and it may just be a season of life that you're in. You, you may be, maybe you have small children. When you've got toddlers running around the house, don't you, I, I know this, when you've got toddlers running around the house, you're like, how did they ever get here? I'm too, oh, I remember, I wasn't tired back then. 
Pure is passionate. You, give me a you. you. Unselfish. Unselfish. We willingly, we gladly yield. Now, here's the beautiful thing about marriage in God's economy. This dance of romance is always being figured out. We're constantly learning each other. 31 years I've been married to Julie, we're still figuring out how to have the conversation, how to have that dance of romance, but we're learning that unselfish works better. There there are times when, when, and this is gonna happen more often than not, the, the number of times that a husband and wife will both be in the mood at the same minute. <laughs> That's just funny. Um, sometimes it happens, and man, when it does, capitalize. But when it's not the case, talk about it. Man, I'm, I'm so, so attracted to you, but I'm so, so exhausted. And in those cases, okay, okay, fine. But See you tomorrow, or or the next, or you know, or or maybe it's, hey, how you doing? Yeah, no. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. As long as you affirm your spouse, you affirm the marriage and the relationship and your desire for one another, it's okay to say no. But you you learn how to give and take in this dance of romance. It's unselfish. R, give me an R. R R is regular. Regular. Well, what does regular mean? I don't know. Figure it out. One woman's regular is another man's exhaustion. Regular for you, you gotta gotta figure that out. And again, there, there will be seasons in life, in marriage, but regular. And then E, give me an E. E. Exclusive. It's exclusive. There are parts of marriage that are shared only by husband and wife. And I don't mean just the act itself. I'm talking about the information, the intimacy. There are parts that you don't talk about with other people. Because this is exclusive. There's, there is an intimacy and a transparency in a God-honoring marriage, in pure sex that can never be compromised. It's exclusive. It is. Biblically, one man, one woman, one life. That is celebrated throughout the Bible. Genesis to Maps. An entire book of the Bible devoted to it. There is not a single exception that is biblically endorsed or celebrated. Not one. The number of linguistic and theological gymnastics that you have to do to get there is invalid. But within that, Game on. Now, I said something earlier that I know has popped up in your mind, like it has mine throughout this sermon. 
Man, we've all messed up. We've messed up with erroneous thoughts, maybe hurtful words or actions, maybe pornography, maybe lust, maybe, maybe even sexual sin itself, adultery, whatever the case might be. But never, ever, ever forget who Jesus is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In Christ, we are a new creation. In Christ, you stick a stake in the ground from this moment forward and say, I am new in Christ, and I will walk in Christ, in this arena and every other. New, new, the old is gone. God says, I remember your sin no more. You confess it and repent. I will remember it no more and remove it from you as far as the east is from the west. That's who God is. That's what God does. He is the author of new I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Throughout this series, we have relied on the fact that romance, biblically, is one of the ways that God invites us into the deepest, most profound relationship the world has ever known. And that deepest, most profound relationship is not marriage. It's not. It is a relationship with Christ. That in Christ we are made new. We are made whole and complete. If you're here today and you have never stepped into that relationship, you've never begun that relationship, we want to invite you to do it right now. We want to invite you to pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of submitting to the only one who will never take advantage of your submission. If that's you, then you pray right where you're sitting. Just silently say something like this, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back in order to receive your forgiveness, your amazing grace. In this moment, you are now my Lord and my Savior. And in exchange for your life, I will give you mine and follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just another moment. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. 
And as a church, we want to help with the moments that follow, with what's next after this new beginning. In just a minute, we'll explain kind of how that works. But right now, I want to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a moment. And know that as a family of faith with you, we celebrate that. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.